0: All right. Good morning. Welcome to worship. We are delighted that you are here with us this morning as we uh, celebrate our Lord and Jesus Christ. A few announcements before we get started. Remember, if you're a guest, to fill out the uh, blue side of the tear off portion in your bulletin and put that in the offering plate as it goes by. We'll have a record of your attendance and be able to follow up as appropriate. And then on the other side is a space, the yellow page for prayer requests. Please continue to give your prayer requests, put them in that uh, offering plate as well, and we pray with you uh, for whatever requests you might have on Tuesdays. Staff meeting has been moved to Tuesday. So Tuesdays we'll pray for any requests you may give. Uh, A few other things to call attention to. Tonight, we do have our encounter service right here in the sanctuary at 5 o'clock. RAs, GAs, Mission Friends, Children Choirs as well at 5 o'clock. And then uh, Youth and Ensemble at 6, and then Handbells at 7 this evening. This Wednesday, we do have uh, hamburgers for our Wednesday night meal. So sign up for that if you'd like some hamburgers. And then all of our Wednesday programs are going great and very excited about the the Connect Group Bible Studies and Awanas and youth and different things that are going on. So if you would like to be more involved in anything, let us know, and we pray that you continue to come, support our prayer meeting that's in here or any of our small groups or helping out with our youth and children's programs. So we thank you for that. Uh, Make mention that on October 5th, the teenagers are going to West Virginia And I'm not driving them this time. They're chartering a bus or something, right? Is that right? They're going to miss me. All right, well, that's nice. So, yeah, so remember to keep them in prayer when they go on October 5th. I don't know if space is still available for that or not, but I think it's all filled up for who's going. So very exciting trip for them. And then I wanted to make mention we only have two weeks left to our 40th anniversary. So uh, word has spread. I know uh, it's been uh, talked about in the community and in our church, uh, but keep that in prayer as we lead up to our 40th, and uh, we'll have Robbie come up and give our announcement for this. Right.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Um, in the bulletin this morning, we have an insert, and on one side of the insert is some biographical information about our guest speaker, who is Charles Morrison, who in 1977 was our first associate pastor here at Mechanicsville Baptist Church. So some information about Mr. Morrison on the front page and on the back page is some more information about what's going on Saturday evening here as we celebrate our 40th anniversary and Sunday morning. Okay, so that's information for you. In the adult Sunday school classes this morning, we had two sign-up sheets, one for Saturday evening and one for Sunday for the... um, catered lunch right after the worship service it's not a mandatory sign-up sheet it's just a sign-up sheet that our team thought would be helpful in us planning for both events to uh, have have an idea of who was planning on coming if you know of people that are former members and your extended family we want to spend us send a special invitation for them to come we need them here we want them here And they're welcome to come. They don't need to sign up. It's not no mandatory sign-up sheet. It's just something that we thought would be a guide for us. So that was the purpose for uh, those being in Sunday school today, and we asked for them to be in Sunday school also um, next Sunday morning, okay? Um, Again, if you see former members, I'm sure most of us know former members, we want to extend a special invitation for them to come and join us also on the 14th and 15th, okay? So again, we want to ask everybody to join us the weekend of October the 14th and 15th as we celebrate 40 years of incredible ministry that the Lord has empowered us to accomplish in our community and in our world, okay? And I'm going to go over just a few highlights. On Saturday evening, everything will be in the Family Life Center, and we're going to start at 7 o'clock, and there'll be a tasting, so we want each one that will come to bring a little sample of their favorite sweet or salty item share with the group that night, and we'll have some music led by the Praise Band, and uh, Reverend Chris Fowler is also also going to sing a couple of songs with the Praise Band that, that evening, and we'll have a narrated video that will be read by John Hare uh, that Ward Hildreth has um, been working diligently on putting together, and I'm sure you don't want to miss that. It'll be a slideshow, and uh, that'll take about 15 to 20 minutes. And then we have a scrolling video with a lot of pictures that we have uh, searched for in the church and found. So we want to share that with you. So that will be Saturday evening over in the Family Life Center. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to ask that you try to get in the sanctuary by 1045 a.m. that morning. So we're going to ask the Sunday school teachers to uh, release you a little bit earlier that morning and try to come over around 1045. Brenda and Linda will have some pre-service music for us to enjoy as we gather and meet with people, and we'll recognize our former staff people that are here that morning, and also we'll have some music led by different parts of our uh, Sounds of the Spirit, Ladies Ensemble, the Adult Choir, and some other instrumentalists, so you don't want to miss that particular part of the service either. And then our message will be brought by Charles Morrison, and then when we release, we'll go over to the Family Life Center and have a catered dinner, we're calling it. Uh, It's going to be a big meal uh, right after the worship service is over. Uh, That morning. So, look forward to seeing everybody here and spread the word to your family members, your friends, and former members. Thank you very much. Bye bye.
2: Thank you. you.
3: Good morning. morning. Now, you know, if you don't say it right the first time, you have to do it again. So, I need to hear you say good morning. morning. (laughs) Okay, so I have another question for you. How many of you have looked at the bulletin? And notice there's something different. Have you noticed anything different in the order of service? (gasps) Somebody said, Yep. Who said it? Who said it? So the offertory is coming after the first hymn. Just want to let you know so that everybody can be ready. Okay? Now I want you to take your hymnals out and turn to page 63. And I want you to look under the title when it says, Awesome God, and it says, Say to God, How awe-inspiring are your works. So I'm going to have you say that with me, okay? Got it? Got it? Take a little moment to get the words all straight. All right, we're going to read it together. Ready? How awe-inspiring are your works. Can you do better than that? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Ready? How awe-inspiring are your works. Our God is an awesome God. I've been singing this chorus more years than I care to remember, so I want you to sing it with me and lift it up to God because he truly is our awesome God. We're going to do it through twice. awesome, and I think you've got more in your voices, so we're going to warm them up. Are you ready? Give it all to him. Ready? Yeah.
0: Our Father God, we are grateful to be here this day as we uh, do confess and sing out and proclaim the truth that you are an awesome God. We gather this day trusting that you will speak to us, that you will work through us, and that you will be acknowledged uh, to, to the measure in which you are, that you are Lord sustainer, creator, and savior of the universe, Jesus. God, we pray your spirit would indwell this place and that uh, you would be glorified in everything we say and everything we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
4: Let's continue to praise God this morning by singing one of my favorite hymns, I must say, Good Choice. Awesome song. Page 149, praise him, praise him. Let's stand and sing our praises to God this morning.
2: morning. Please join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful, beautiful fall Sunday morning. Thank you for the seasons that you've created for us to enjoy. Now we come at this time in our service to praise you with our tithes and offerings. I ask that you bless each tither. Each person that's given, bless them, bless the money that we bring. Help us to remember that it helps those missionaries around the world and here in our country share the good news of Jesus Christ, that He loves us all and that He created all of us. Thank you for the blessings that you give us each and every day. Help us not to take any for granted. What is in the blessed name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.
4: remain standing and reach for your hymnals. We're going to read, uh, not read, let's sing. We're going to sing The Old Rugged Cross, page 230, a wonderful, wonderful hymn as we get ourselves prepared for communion this morning and the message. So let's uh, thoughtfully sing this beautiful hymn as we continue to praise God this morning and Jesus Christ for his blood shed for us. table here.
0: Come to the Lord's table for communion. Remembrance is the key. As Jesus gathered his disciples in the upper room on the night he was betrayed, he had a fellowship meal with them. And in this meal, he gave us something that we've taken to this place in 2017, an opportunity to remember and to reenact what he did for us and what he was going to do as he went to the cross. In the Bible, the word remember is not something in the past. It's a reenactment. And that's what the church has instituted as we observe the Lord's uh, Supper. And so as we take the elements, reenact what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and remember actively his sacrifice paid for our sins. As Jesus did gather. He uh, took bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he said, this is my body which was broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you Take of it, remember me. Let us pray. Our Father God, as we observe your Lord's Supper, we thank you that it is a reminder and uh, an active reminder of what you did for us on the cross. God, let us never take it lightly. Let us understand the power of your gospel, and how you were broken and poured out for the sins of your people. God, may we be ever mindful as we go through this day and as we come through this week. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would get your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 17 for this morning's message. I am excited because God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Sometimes pastors think we have to add more to Scripture in order for people to get it or to be amused by it or have an illustration that is drawn out of it. The most important part of any sermon is God's Word, God's truth. And we could just read this passage and God would speak to us because it's true. It's, it's his living and active word. And we had a week or so ago on Sunday night, we, we had a gentleman just read. We listened to a reading of Romans 8. And it was a sermon in and of itself because of the power of the gospel. God's word is the most important part. God's spirit is here with us. And as we look at this, we're going to draw from it. But we trust the power of God's word as we read it. Before we do, I want to give us three overarching principles as we look at this passage. I'm not going to necessarily refer back to them often, but I want to keep these in our heads as we look into this scripture today. Number 1, we live in a supremely contradicting culture. Our culture is oppositional to God's word. Our culture is oppositional to the truth of Christ in Almost every way, shape, and form. Keep that in mind as we look at what Paul went through in his culture. Number two, the only way to stand for Christ and proclaim him today in this culture is through boldness. The church has to be bold to be able to stand against such opposition. Paul models that for us, as you will see. And number three, God has and will win. This is the confidence that we have. We don't have to face a culture that is oppositional to our our Jesus and we have to wonder if God is going to win. God will win out. God will draw people into himself despite obstacles, despite opposition that we face in our times. Let me pray. God, we pray as we read your holy word that you would speak to us, that you would convict us, and that you would change us. Help us to be bold. Help us to understand the culture in which we live and give us opportunity to see how you will win, because that's a guarantee. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 16 through 34. This is Paul in Athens. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. They were saying, What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, He seems to be proclaiming strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to their. Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know what these things mean. Verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I will proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things." And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, and even as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Being then the children of God... We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of this resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer. Others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. Verse 34, But some men joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Paul went to Athens. And you may not realize, he went to Athens, I will kind of put it, to be on vacation. He was as we know about Paul, experiencing much conflict in his ministry. He was at Thessalonica and he was at Berea, and because he was preaching Jesus, conflict came. He then decides he's going to go to Athens for some safety, to have some peace, to get away from some of the conflict that was happening. So he goes kind of on vacation. And as he is in Athens, he takes part of the culture. He's there. So he looks around, he's walking around, and look at what happens. Paul, as he's waiting for other of his friends to come, Silas and Timothy, he has his spirit within him provoked because they were observing a city full of idols. Paul's spirit was provoked by the culture that was in his midst. Provoked, the word here is he was filled with with righteous anger, he was filled with fire, his insides were lit up against the the culture that he was immersed in, and the vacation was over. The vacation was over; he could not keep Christ to himself in the midst of a culture that was so opposed to the gospel. I think I know it does with me, and I hope it does with you. Christ in me causes the same reaction on a daily basis. I get provoked by the spirit for where our world is and where it's going. People have taken and neglected God's word, neglected God's ways and have filled for themselves a culture filled with idols. Now we don't we don't necessarily carve actual idols anymore, but we see our culture and I I know that it's true because I hear it from you and I hear it from people in Christ. What do we do? We are so provoked by what we see, what we hear, what we read, what we experience that that same reaction comes in us. And we have two main choices here. We become so heavenly minded that we just hide ourselves from that culture, try to insulate ourselves and just focus on Christ in us, which is not how... The gospel needs to be shown. Or we become in the world but not of the world. That was what Paul did. He could not exist in a world that opposed the greatness of Christ and do nothing about it. He could not just hide in his hotel room if there was a hotel room. He was in the city and his spirit was provoked and he couldn't help sharing Christ in those contexts. I look at our culture today, and you know it can go from shock to sadness to dismay to righteous anger, just like that. What does the Spirit do within us? I think it provokes us. The Holy Spirit provokes us, and we need people of God today to be provoked in the midst of this culture. I don't even really have to bring it out. You know what's going on in our culture. You know the ways it's going. Paul was in that same situation. As he's waiting there, he's taking in the culture and it wasn't pretty. He sees idols and idols and idols. We just have to walk around, interact with people today, check out social media, entertainment, politics, news, the NFL, protests, hobbies, interests, lifestyles of our culture, and we realize it is not pretty. That people have decided, I don't care what God's word says, I'm going to make great of what I make great. Paul addresses this very shortly. We have a culture full of this. We've left out Jesus in our culture uh, to the shock and dismay of the church and to the negligence of our people in our society. The truthfulness of the Bible has been overlooked, and we are provoked. The question is, what are we going to do? What What do we do when our culture disregards God's word and Jesus himself? Paul could have hid, but he didn't. What we have to do today as a church is decide to interact with this culture, and that's tough. What he did, look at verse 17, after his provocation comes, he goes to the synagogue where the Jews are to reason with them. He goes to share the truth of Christ. Then he goes to the God-fearing Gentiles. Where else does he go? The marketplace. And wherever somebody happened to be present, he did the very opposite of hiding from the gospel. He went to the people wherever people were, and he shared the truth of Christ. That's the example for us. Wherever you go in our culture, we have to proclaim the truth of Christ, whether it be your schools, whether it be your workplace, whether it be your families, whether it be your church, whether it be your your friendships, whether it be your interaction on social media. We have to take Christ wherever we go, and interact with people in boldness. Paul gives us that example. We do not need to be so heavenly minded that we miss out that God wants and desires and will redeem and rescue people in our midst. But we have to be bold. His boldness then turns, because he was willing not to hide, it attracts people. Boldness attracts people in our culture passive or lukewarm or apathetic or softening the gospel, that has not attracted people to Jesus. What has attracted people to Jesus is boldness. Paul, being bold, attracted people in Athens, and they were like, what is this guy talking about? He gets the philosophers, the Epicureans, the Stoics, and and they're like, what is he saying? Because he did not keep it to himself, they go and they get him, and they're like, what's he talking about? He seems to be proclaiming something. Let's bring him to the Areopagus. Now, the reason he was brought to the Areopagus was because Jesus was what he was proclaiming. Chuck mentioned this last Sunday night. God is something you can proclaim all the time, every day, in every way. Nobody's going to be offended in our culture. You can say God. You can can believe in God. You can have faith in God. That doesn't seem to matter to anybody. Everybody has the God of their own understanding or whatever. But as soon as you bring in Jesus, things happen. Soon as Paul started being as clear as possible that Jesus, his resurrection, his death, his resurrection was what he was talking about, people were taking notice. That's what we have to be as a church. Our lives have to be centered on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is what brings people to repentance, not just a vague sense of a God. So they brought him in verse 19. Uh, They were like, You're coming with us to the Areopagus. And they wanted to know what he was teaching. They sought him out because he was bold. And the, uh, the example here is, do people seek us out? Or do they just pass us by? Or are we, are we invisible to bring Christ to the world because of our apathy or our fear of standing for Christ? He gets brought to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was a place, I would call it a council. It was formed in the rocks with the pillars and things there in Athens. And in this council, they would deliberate on who lives and who dies. This was sort of a senate type of place. They would judge people. And at the same time, they would have people come around, and they would have all these idols around. We took the keen age group to uh, the Neptune Festival Friday. And this is kind of, not in a bad way, this is kind of a similar thing. We go to the beach, and there's this giant tent. And in this tent are all these sand sculptures. And you get to walk around these sand sculptures. Some of the thoughts and the ideas with these sand sculptures are unique, let's just put it that way. Some of them are, are biblical. It's very interesting. There's a big mix. But you walk around and they're from all over the world. These artists come from all over the world. They do these sculptures. You look at them, take pictures, you get the ideas of the people. You walk out like that was thought provoking. And then you 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 have that in your head. Here they had who they thought were gods. They had people who, they didn't want to leave any thought out. So they have all these idols around, and then they have this one, just in case we miss something, we're going to have to an unknown God. And they had that. Paul comes into this place. They drag him in there. They're like, we want to know. He comes in, and guess what he does? He sees idol number one, and his spirit is provoked, right? He sees idol number two, cannot stand what they're worshiping, idol number three, four, five. His spirit is lit up with the righteous anger of Christ within him. And then he comes across to this one idol that says to an unknown guide, and look what he does. So important. Instead of just blasting the people and just ripping on them and saying, you guys are, you guys are a mess, his, his provocation leads him to respect And that's an amazing thing that only God can do because I know when I get provoked by some of the things that I see in our culture, it's hard to stay respectful. He sees this unknown God and out of of the Holy Spirit working in Paul, he says, I'm gonna use this to respect my audience and tell them that they are way off base at the same time. That's what we have to do. I'm telling you, as soon as we go on Facebook, if you will, and we see something A lot of times, the first reaction Christians have is, I hate you, you're way wrong, and you lose your audience right there. Nobody's going to listen to you anymore if you're just ripping on people. In our culture, you could be at the workplace, and the first thing you do is just be hateful and angry and judgmental because of something that's so different from what Christ is, and you've lost your place to be a light in that culture. Paul teaches us something huge here. Hatred provocation of all of these idols, these gods that are not gods being worshipped, and he keeps it together. He takes the Holy Spirit. says, there's this unknown God here. They need to know who Jesus is. In our culture, we have to do that. I was at CU at the Pole Wednesday at Stonewall Jackson. CU at the Pole is a wonderful movement of the Holy Spirit. It started by just students going to their campuses' flagpoles to pray for the, their students and their faculty for the, for the year. It was not allowed to be uh, present, any adults. No adults could be around. Students would just go. They would pray for their schools. And uh, the flagpole is the symbol of the most public place in a high school or in a middle school. So that's where they they gather. And so I went this Wednesday to Stonewall Jackson. And uh, as I was able to share a few words, I mentioned this, that God is at work in every person, everywhere, all the time, in every way. God is at work in every person, everywhere, all the time, in every way. We as Christians are like hopefully see how God is at work in our lives, but God is also at work in every person who does not know who Jesus Christ is. God is at work in that person. We as Christians have to have the Holy Spirit to see how God is working and to tell them, guess what, that's Jesus. But we don't. We just get blinded by, I can't stand their lifestyle. So God's obviously not working in that person. It's wrong. It's a lie. God is ever-present and ever-active in every person. We have to be willing to expose truth to a culture. Paul took a big risk here because who knows what could have happened, but he could not stand it, and he knew if he just started blasting on everybody, they weren't going to listen to him, so he found a way. He found a way. He found those strings hanging down. This is what I call them. God has strings in everybody's life hanging on all the time. Those of us in Christ have to see those and know, know where they're at. Your friends, your coworkers, your 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 schoolmates—they have those strings, but they have no idea they're there. God is working. They have no idea that you are here to share what those strings are, how God is working in somebody's life. He tells them. He tells them clearly. Out of respect, amazingly out of respect, he gives this sermon. And he says, his first thing, he says, I see you're very religious in all aspects. Man, that had to be hard to say. What he was saying in his heart is, I see that you are wrong in every aspect. That you are messed up in every way possible. That I've just been walking around your town full of being provoked of the Spirit because of how wrong you all are. But he says, I see I see that you're very religious in all respects. He wins his audience by being respectful. I worked at VCU. And when I was at VCU, I worked with internationals. Every year, internationals, we'd have Christians who would come. We'd have Muslims who would come. We'd have Buddhists who would come. We would have all faiths. If my first thing would be bashing their religion, I would have had no opportunity to, to bring Christ into any conversation ever. We have to respect their wrongness we cannot just take ourselves out of that equation because then we're going to lose our opportunity to share the truth of christ so paul commands their attention and it's tough today because we get so provoked and we just think the first thing we have to do is just get mad at somebody but look what paul did he didn't disrespect their culture even though it was awful and he found a way to relate to jesus to the people opportunity arises. He says there's an unknown God right in their midst. He sees that string, that opportunity, and he says, you are in ignorance. I almost called the sermon proclaiming Christ in an age of ignorance. That's not right. We are not ignorant. This country has received the gospel. This country has known about the death, the the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not of ignorant. What we are is we're blind or we're apathetic. We are not ignorant. And so it's our culture. It's not ignorance. They have chosen to build up a belief system based upon themselves instead of Jesus, instead of God's word. And so they're not ignorant. They're lost. They're blind. They're confused. They're not in the age of ignorance anymore. Jesus came. He obliterated the age of ignorance. And so in that, he says, you're you're ignorant to this unknown God. I'm going to tell you who it is. And he starts talking about Jesus. And the first thing he says is, God, verse 24, who made this world, everything in it, who is Jesus, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all people life and breath and all things. Paul shares that God is not dictated by people. God is not made to be served by human hands. God is in control. Jesus is in control of this universe. Our culture needs to be broken of its determination that everybody should be self sufficient. Everybody, I, I believe it in my heart, the reason why the authority of the Bible is getting lost is because people just want to believe what makes them feel good. It's disgusting. It's where the Spirit comes in, and I can't believe you deny the truth of a God who is the sustainer and creator of all things. And it makes us upset, but we have to say, well, how do we get into a culture that has gone that far? We need to bring them back to what God's Word really is. We need to bring them back to where you cannot create your own Savior. You cannot make some something out of your own hands, to be God, it's going to fail. It's going to be flawed. People today think they can neg- negotiate and coerce and entice and have God do what they want because we, we have a culture where everybody thinks they're the center of the universe. God is the center of the universe in Jesus Christ. And Paul, that's the first thing he says. And I think that's an important thing for us to remind and be reminded of is when we bring Christ into this culture, Christ is already in the culture. He's already in control. People need to be reminded that it's not based upon what they think or what they believe or how they feel or what it makes them feel. God is not dependent on us. And our culture gets a little uncomfortable with that concept because they've built this system of belief like, wait, God is whoever I want God to be. Because life is not about them. Life is not about us. We have generations of people who have come who think life is about them. And it's no wonder selfishness increases. It's no wonder thankfulness and gratitude decreases because we feel entitled. In him we live. In him we move. And without Jesus, we cease to exist. Now here's the other turn of that. We cease to exist apart from Jesus. Every person who does not know Jesus ceases to exist apart from Jesus. They think they exist, but they're only being held together because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ chooses to keep us together. So they have hope because the one who is holding them together is the one who is their savior and who can redeem and rescue them from their self-sufficiency. I don't know about you, but if there is someone and his name is Jesus, and this Jesus literally keeps me existing, then my life is going to be about him. And if we can convey that to a lost and dying and blinded culture, they can see that all these things that they've worshipped are incorrect. Number four, if there's a number of what I'm sharing, Paul comes to the conclusion, the result of this message, the result of the truth of Christ in our culture is repentance. Paul shares that God is not served by human hands, But he also shares that as we live and move and exist in him, that, verse 30, the times of ignorance are over. God is declaring to all men, all people, everywhere, they should repent. Here's here's the excuse of, I didn't know, is no longer going to hold water. They are going to be responsible for what they know. And if what they know is not Christ, they're still going to perish. If what we have built ourselves up in is not Christ, we will perish. I had a youth on a, on a camp trip. I was at a beach one time. They had keys to their hotel rooms. And they had, they had a charge of $25 if they'd lose their keys. We were going to the beach for the day. I said, don't lose your key. It's going to cost you $25. My mom and dad know this story. And we go to the beach. And at the end of the day, we're packing up. We're getting back in the bus. And this young man comes to me. And he says, Dwight, I lost my key. I was like, where'd you lose it? He was like, on the beach. I was like, well, go get it. He's like, I can't find it. I dropped it in the sand. I was like, well, $25. He's like, I'm not paying $25. It's not my fault. I accidentally dropped it. You are responsible for accidentally dropping your key. Not me, not anybody else. You are accountable for what you do. And if you believe everything and you say, well, I didn't know better, I thought. God was served by human hands. I thought I could do this on my own. You're still going to be responsible. God is not served by human hands. He is calling everyone everywhere to repent, and our culture hates that. They hate it because what? It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my friend's fault. It's just the way society is. Things have changed. This isn't relevant anymore. They're They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. And we have to respect them enough to show them where they're wrong and show them that you are, you are ultimately in the fate, in the hands of a holy God who has sent Jesus and you cannot just say, I'm ignorant to that. It also raises the mandate for the church, doesn't it? We have to take the gospel to everyone, everywhere because those people in in countries and places where they just know of this unknown God, God is something, we have to tell them that God is Jesus, that God is Jesus because they need to know who's their Savior. The church should be just just reveling in the opportunity. We have to take Jesus to a culture that hates him or doesn't know him. We have it all around us. We move, we live, we, we exist in Christ, and everyone, everyone needs to repent. Now, I know what you're going to say because I say it too, um, it doesn't work, Dwight. I I try to interact with culture, and they don't like it, and they, they don't respond well to it. And guess what? Paul gives this incredible sermon, verse 32. They heard of it. They heard of the resurrection. They hear about Jesus, and what do they do? They sneer. They laugh. They snicker. They mock. Like, what is he talking about? Guess what? When we proclaim the truth of Jesus in our culture, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to laugh at us. They're going to mock us. Guess what? Jesus is still right. Jesus is still in authority. Jesus is still on his throne. Jesus is still in control. We should not take that personally. What we see is that they are confused. They are confused. And when they mock us, when they insult us, guess what? We have Jesus who was completely ridiculed, mocked, insulted, and crucified. He went through that not so we could hide the gospel from the world, so that we could be bold enough to stand up against that mockery. You go on Facebook, and uh, as a Christian, somebody, somebody says something, and you, 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 you stand up for Christ, you'll probably get insulted right back in, in the comment section. So what we have to do is we have to figure out how to respect And how to withstand insults. Because even the best intentions, no matter how you bring the gospel to this culture, you're gonna get you're gonna get opposition, you're gonna get turned against. But you know what? They didn't stop Paul in any way. I think about this. Paul was starting this journey by hiding on vacation in Athens. And what happens? People mocking him, laughing him, insulting him. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, one of the first things Jesus said to him, Paul, I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer. He didn't say, Paul, now it's just going to be a vacation everywhere you go. Paul lived that out. Everywhere Paul went, it was going to be opposition because Paul was our light to the gentiles he was our light to the nations he was that missionary who was going to and we cannot expect to be well i'm not paul we have to be that in our cause we have to expect opposition we have to expect uh laughter mocking people belittling jesus it's terrible but we have to do it because we are in christ but then the end here Paul goes out of their midst, verse thirty-four. But some men joined and believed, among whom were Dionysius and a woman named Damaris. Here's the absolute truth: God will win. It's it's true. We are not the ones who are going to make God win. God will win. God will draw people to himself. There is not a question. There's not a doubt. And sometimes you might be like, well, it didn't work this time. Well, you have to just keep going because God is at work in everybody, everywhere, at all the time. We cannot be people who are so doubting of our God that, well, how could God possibly win in this culture? Absolutely a lie that the enemy is feeding our heads. God is going to be victorious because he is victorious. His kingdom has no end because his kingdom has no end. His children are his children because they are his children. Jesus is in control. Why do we want to not be bold? Why do we want to be apathetic? Why do we want to be people who take God's word and just like, well, I'll water it down so the culture isn't as offended? That's not what Paul did. What he did is he found a way to respect the atrocity of the culture and to bring the truth of Christ, and guess what? God wins. Man, you look at Paul, and it's not about Paul. His churches, his churches, his churches spring up in the midst of all kinds of turmoil. Why? Because God will grow his church. God will work in his people. Today, it's really about this. Do we want to be popular in this culture? Do we want to have everybody like us and not confront them with the truth of Christ? Or do we want to take the value of Christ, the treasure we have in Christ that is more valuable than anything this world can offer, and do we want to have people see that that's our value? Or do we want them just to like us? Paul was just concerned that they value Jesus. We have to be concerned that they value Jesus, and sometimes we'll get mocked, and sometimes people will join us. Mechanicsville needs Jesus. They don't need his church just to kind of back down and cave in and say, Well, I'm just waiting for heaven, so I don't have to be in this culture anymore. That's not what we're here for. We have our treasure in Christ. He calls us to be heirs in his inheritance. He calls us his children. He gives us eternal life. He secures our home for eternity. He gives us a reason to move, to live, to exist. And he puts us in this culture that needs Jesus. We have no choice but to live for Jesus and proclaim him in our times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust you this day, Lord Jesus. We know and we believe that your word is true. God, we thank you for your word with Paul and the story from Athens. We thank you for the way that you give him as an example for us when we get so upset or angry or provoked with the things that are going on in our culture. God, we thank you that there's an example for us to follow, and that is to respect our culture, but to be bold and proclaim Christ in its midst. God, help us to not back down. Help us to not be dismayed. Help us not be discouraged when opposition comes. We are just trusting opposition will come but God, we know that you're in control. We know that you're victorious and that you have a plan and that we are so thrilled to be a part of your plan. God, we want to fully glorify you. Help us to shine the light of Jesus in these times. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we stand for our closing hymn, I would encourage this time to let God work in your hearts as we sing this hymn. And if you need to confess that I have not been as bold as I need to be to stand for the word of God, give that to God during this time. If you need to be a person who says, I have a workplace that I have just kind of shied away from even talking about Jesus. Maybe God's stirring up something for you in that. Maybe you're a student and you're like, yeah, God has placed me in this school and there's a lot of people in my school who don't care about Jesus. How can I be a light for him there? That's what I want us to do during this this invitation time. Just have God convict our hearts to be who Christ has called us to be. So let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing.
4: 434.
0: 434. allowing me to share God's Word with you this day. Tim has been on vacation. I would not even mention Virginia Tech when you see Tim (laughs) next. Just ignore. (laughs) So uh, be with Tim as he is on vacation. And I wanted to remind you that today is Benevolent Sunday. So we will have people at the doors with the baskets. The money goes towards helping families in need within Mechanicsville. So each first Sunday we do give towards that. And I know Tim has talked about we're setting up a partnership with MSEF to have all the ministry money go through, but please don't forget to give to our benevolence offering. Uh, thank you again, and uh, we do pray that uh, as we go from here, we are going into a culture that opposes Christ. We need to find how to bring Christ into that culture. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you've placed us <laughs> In a world uh, that is oftentimes oppositional to you, you've placed us here because we have opportunity. We have opportunity to declare your good, your good name, Jesus. We have opportunity to uh, bring about the victory that you already have for people around us. And God, help us not to be timid or afraid or ashamed, but help us to stand for your word, for your truth, and for Christ in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.